poetry is the art of saying much with less. It is the art of saying much with less. And in that light, Paul's letter to the Ephesians has really poetic or poetry-like quality to it. Last week, we looked at verse 3. But in that one single verse, Paul taught us that God the Father is the fountain of every blessing and that all of His blessings are ours in nowhere but in Christ. And indeed, the Holy Spirit is Himself the guarantee of our place in God's everlasting kingdom of grace in His renewed creation. All that in just one verse. Very poetry-like, saying much with less. And what he condensed into one verse, in verses 4 through 14, Paul begins to systematically unpack. And in verses 4 through 6, Paul brings the first and the climactic blessing into focus. And that first and the climactic blessing is the blessing of predestination. And that's the first thing. Paul tells us here three things about predestination. And that the first thing he tells us is that predestination is a blessing. Now, as you all know, this subject of predestination is very controversial. And uh, this subject of uh, predestination offends many people. Some people are so offended by predestination that they deny the Bible even teaches it. I remember some years ago, I was listening to radio. Um, radio. <laughs> this was many years ago. <laughs> and I was listening to a sermon of a pastor of a large mega church in Southern California. It's one of the largest churches. And if I mention the name, you will know it. Uh, and this pastor was, happened to be preaching to Romans chapter 9. And which, uh, if you know anything about Romans chapter 9, that's where Paul is explaining predestination. And this pastor had the audacity to say, this chapter says nothing about predestination. And I heard that, and I felt two things. First, I felt afraid for him. If you are a preacher, you ought not to tamper with God's word. When a preacher forgets that one day he will stand before God and have to give an answer, have to give an account of what he has said in the name of the Lord, I felt afraid for him. Secondly, I felt a deep sense of sorrow for his congregation. The Word of God is food for our souls. And if you are at a place where the Word of God is being tampered with, at best you are getting spiritual junk food or you are getting spiritual poison. And so whether it happens quickly or slowly, if you are at a place where God's word is being tampered with, your souls will be harmed. And so when I heard this pastor say that Romans chapter 9 has nothing to say about predestination, I was afraid for him, and I felt deep sorrow for that congregation. But that is the reality. Many people, 
even those who claim to be Christ followers, even those who claim to believe the Bible as the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God, they deny predestination. And other people are so offended by it, they radically change the meaning in order to make it more palatable. But I think we need to recognize that the Bible, first of all, teaches predestination so clearly that no one who believes the Bible as God's word ought not to deny it. And also, uh, predestination is rooted in God's love and it reveals his grace towards sinners. And because of that, no follower of Jesus Christ should take offense at this teaching. Because what Paul tells us here is that predestination is a blessing from the Father which we have in Christ and by which we are kept secure for God's eternal kingdom. So listen to verse 3 once again. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That verb, he chose us, uh, it's the Greek word from which we get election. In other words, what Paul is saying is that the Father has blessed us by electing us in Christ and that long before we or even the universe even existed, that God in his eternal counsel, even before he brought anything into existence, God has determined our destiny and that without our input and that our lives unfold as to fulfill God's unchangeable purpose. Now this is precisely where uh, many people find fault with God and blame God for sinning against mankind. How dare God Because for many people, the most sacrosanct, the most sacred thing is that they do what they want to do and that their lives play out as they have planned. So who's right? Scriptures or people? So this is the first thing that you need to recognize, that Paul says here that God electing us to be in Christ from before the foundation of the world is a blessing. Is it right? How can it be? Predestination is a blessing because, because of what God is doing with it. So look at verse 4 again. Even as he chose us in him, even as he elected us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. When we study the scriptures, the topic of predestination is not given to us for us to have abstract discussions about it, 
but you will find that the, the scripture teaches predestination as a way of comforting people and in this way. Don't you struggle with sin day in and day out? I do. And sometimes the struggle is so intense and we despair of making progress as Christians. Am I alone in feeling this? I don't think so. And sometimes we are afraid, aren't we? We fear that the world, the devil, and the flesh are so powerful, they will overpower us. And we realize in our many struggles against it, we realize how weak we are, that we do not have the strength to hold on to God. And you know, that's true. We are weak, and we are unable to persevere in grace. But God is strong, and God is able to preserve us. So when we are beset with many struggles in this life, as we struggle, as we despair, as we are discouraged, we realize that it is God's eternal and unchangeable purpose to bring us into his kingdom of grace. And so in our vicious and often very painful struggles in life, it is a heart-cheering comfort to know that God will bring us, weak and frail as we are, into his kingdom of grace. That one day, because God is good, he is powerful, one day we will be holy and blameless before him. The sin will not have the last word. Shame and guilt will not have their last word. But God in grace will have the last word. That's the purpose and the function of this teaching in the scriptures. Scriptures do not talk about predestination and election as a mere topic of idle speculation, but in order to comfort believers who in their day-to-day life struggle, who are afraid, who are beaten down, who are hard-pressed to remind them, yes, it is true. If it were up to you, what guarantee, what possible uh, hope there is for you to persevere? But know this, that before anything came into existence, that God in his eternal counsel, he loved you. He set you apart in Jesus Christ and he has predestined you that you may be with him in his kingdom of grace. That's why Paul tells us here that predestination is a blessing. Secondly, the second thing that Paul tells us about predestination is to tell us the motivation behind it. So verses 4 and 5, Paul tells us, In love, he predestined us. In love, he predestined us. Now, that phrase, in love, appears at the very end of verse 4. But that phrase, in love, at the end of verse 4, it actually belongs to verse 5. And it explains the motive behind what we read in verse 5, that God, he predestined us, Uh, He appointed beforehand, 
out of his love, and that's the, the function of the phrase in love, to explain to us what is happening in verse 5. And here, Paul is simply being faithful to the Old Testament scriptures. The Old Testament book of Malachi in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Uh, this uh, book of prophecy was given to Israel at the time of their spiritual apostasy, when they had hardened their heart against God. And so the Lord is questioning them in that book. So in Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, this is what the Lord says. I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, How have you loved us? So this is God coming to his people. I have loved you. And this is Israel's challenge back to God. How? How have you ever loved us? What have you done for us lately? And then the Lord answers, Is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated When Isaac's wife, Rebekah, was pregnant with the twins, Esau and Jacob, before the twins were born, the Lord chose Jacob to show him his steadfast love. And Jacob receives God's covenant blessings, not because of anything that he has done or will do, but because of God's gracious love according to the purpose of his will. Now, if you remember that part of scriptures, um, the twins, Esau and Jacob, as you read about their lives, you know, it makes you scratch your head, doesn't it? Because how is it possible that these two have come from the stock and the root of Abraham, the man of faith, the man of great godliness and devotion to the Lord, because from the earliest days, you realize that Esau and Jacob were utterly, utterly unlike their father Abraham. Esau was someone who disdained God, scoffed at covenant blessings and promises. Jacob, Well, he was a liar, he was a cheater, he was a scoundrel. And so the fact that God sets his loving kindness on Jacob has nothing to do with what Jacob has done or the good decisions that he will make in the future because he makes not one good decision until God sovereignly and graciously takes hold of him. So much so that that the Lord tells Moses in Exodus chapter 33, verse 19, the Lord says, And I will be gracious to to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So do you see, when Paul is talking about predestination in Ephesians 1, he is simply being faithful to the Old Testament scriptures. He's being faithful to what he saw in Malachi. He's being faithful to what he saw in Genesis. He's being faithful to what he saw in Exodus. And of course, Paul is also being faithful to Jesus. John chapter 6, uh, verse 65, this is what Jesus said. 
No one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. You see, when people hear about predestination, um, they say it's an invention of man. But let me tell you, Augustine didn't invent predestination. Calvin didn't invent predestination. The writers of the Westminster Confession of Faith did not invent predestination. It's what God reveals in His Word through Moses, through the prophet Malachi, and it's what Jesus Himself says, and it is what the Holy Spirit, who inspired the words of Ephesians 1, tells us. And because of this, you know, we should be deeply troubled when for one reason or another people take issue with predestination and find it an offense and use that to blame God and accuse Him of sin. We get deeply affected by such stance because at that point you are tampering with God's Word. And you are taking something that Scripture gives us to comfort believers in their afflictions. That's something that Scripture gives us to show us the love of God and His grace and turning that into an offense. No Christian ought to do that. No Christian who, who says that they hold to God's Word as the inspired Word of the Holy Spirit can afford to do that. And what's more, contrary to popular belief, you and I as sinners, we have no claim to God's love or blessings. We we were born in union with the first Adam, in solidarity with his rebellion. And not only were we born with the guilt of Adam's sin, throughout our lives we prove ourselves to be Adam's true children. We scoff at God. We break His law. We worship idols. And we use the gifts that God has given us to rebel against Him. Do you know that the very air that you breathe is God's gift to you? Do you know that everything you have is God's gift to you? The life that you have is God's gift to you. But before we are redeemed by Christ, mankind uses the very gifts of God to rebel against Him. And that is why The only thing that sinners deserve from God is the justice of judgment and rejection. And so there is no injustice in God when God leaves sinners to reap the consequence of their actions. There is no injustice in God when sinners perish in sin. But, And this is where Paul is getting at. In love, God chose.
chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. God chose some people in order to make them one with his son. And in that union with Christ, our sins are laid on Christ and his righteousness is credited to us. So God treated his own son according to what our sins have earned and deserved. And God treats us according to what his faithful, righteous, holy, pure son has deserved. Jesus died and suffered God's wrath, the wrath that you and I deserve. And we receive blessing upon blessing. We receive mercy and we receive forgiveness because God chose us to be in Jesus. And as to those that receive the benefits of Jesus' death and resurrection, Understand that it has nothing to do with the good things that we have done or the good decisions that we will make. It is all of God's mercy. It is all of God's love. Once again, Exodus 33, 19. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So understand this, predestination is rooted in God's love and it reveals God's grace towards sinners. And the third and the last thing that Paul tells us about predestination is the goal, the goal of predestination. Now, of course, Paul already touched upon the goals um, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Sometimes people object to the, 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 the teaching of predestination, saying that if you tell people their eternal security is assured, it will encourage them to sin. It will take every incentive away for holy living. What they're saying is, is that the, the only way to produce holiness is by threatening them that they may lose their salvation at any moment. That's what they're saying. But Paul already tells us that God chose us in Christ that we should be holy and blameless before him. The comfort of our eternal security does not motivate, excuse, or encourage sinful living but we recognize that we were chosen in Christ in order that we may be holy, in order that we may be blameless. And now in verses 5 and 6, Paul tells us more about that. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ to the praise of his glorious grace. You know, when an architect, uh, for example, uh, puts down his design on a blueprint, uh, the goal is obviously to build a house. But that's only his immediate goal, isn't it? Because while the immediate goal of a blueprint is to build a house, there is an ultimate goal, 
And the ultimate goal is not just to build a house, but the ultimate goal is to live in that house and to make it a home. So God's purpose of predestination has both an immediate goal and an ultimate goal. The immediate goal is to rescue sinners in Jesus Christ. And the ultimate goal is to adopt sinners as sons. Now, when Paul says sons, um, he is not saying that there is a distinction between male and female with respect to uh, God's love for them or the privileges they enjoy. When Paul says that they have been adopted as sons, he means that they have been adopted as heirs. Because, of course, his was a culture that where only the sons received inheritance. Not only sons, usually the firstborn sons. And so what Paul is saying is that God predestined to set us apart in Christ so that we may be co-heirs with Jesus, that we may enjoy the same privileges as Jesus enjoys before his Father, that we may enjoy the same nearness that Jesus has before his Father. And that is why adoption is the climactic blessing of the gospel. I mean, think about this. How is it possible that God, God takes men and women who were once his devoted enemies and makes them his sons and daughters? Not only so, he sent his own son Jesus to suffer shame, pain, and even death so that you and I might become his sons and daughters. That is why adoption in Jesus to be God's heirs, his sons and daughters, this is the climactic blessing of the gospel. You know, it's interesting. Many people measure God's love in a different way. You know, if God loves me, why did he? If God loves me, why didn't he? You know, we, we tend to measure God's love in terms of, well, can I put it crossly like this? We tend to measure God's love in terms of health and wealth. If God loves me, why are these things happening to me? If God loves me, why didn't he let these things happen? Well, we can only say that they have an rather inadequate understanding of the love of God. Because what Paul tells us is that we see God's love in that he took men and women who were his enemies, who spent their whole lives, whose hearts were bent against God, and he sacrificed his own son that they might become his sons and daughters. So that's the first ultimate goal of predestination, and there is another the second ultimate goal of predestination is that God did these things to the praise of his glorious grace. God's electing love, it eliminates every ground for boasting on our part. Instead, it leaves us rather stunned 
stunned with undeserved mercy that moves us to praise God and give glory to Him. And praise Him, we will. It's as the beautiful hymn says, and can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain? For me who Him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Do you see that predestination is a blessing? Do you see what wonderful comfort it is? And do you see what it calls out of you? It calls out of you a joyful security and dependence to know that when you look at your God and your Maker, you stare into the loving face of a Father, and it moves us to worship Him. In Jesus' name, amen.